0: Well, I was pleased to turn to Romans chapter 8. Well, let's love the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this night for the privilege we have of being able to come together around this, your word. We pray, Father, that tonight you would guide our time in your word. Lord, we know that your word is precious. We know that your word, Father God, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path or way. We know, Father God, that your word is given to us for our instruction. We do pray tonight that you'd help us to learn, Father, from this passage, that which you'd have us to learn. Lord, give me clarity of thought and wisdom of speech. Lord God, tonight I might make this passage clear uh, to us that we might understand it for your glory, and that Lord, that uh, tonight you would indeed receive all the praise and all the glory, as we search your word and search its truth, that you might be praised. Bless our time now in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. We have said that the Romans chapter eight is, or has been entitled, the Believer's Declaration of Freedom we saw the first freedom was a declaration of freedom from judgment. Secondly, there was a declaration from defeat. And tonight we want to continue to look at the third declaration, declaration of freedom from discouragement, here in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30. We've seen that God has a plan. God has a purpose in our suffering. And he's using our present sufferings to fit us glory. And Paul explains in Romans 8, 18-30 that no matter what the discouragement, no matter what the suffering, that one day it will be worth it all. And as believers, we have this confidence because of our relationship to the Holy Spirit. We know that in Christian suffering, the Spirit of God defeats sin, gives strength, sonship, salvation and support. And now today we see that in Christians suffering, God's spirit gives safety in Romans 8, 28 to 30. While we may suffer in this life, and we will suffer, we need to understand that God has a perfect plan for all of us as believers. And so firstly tonight, I want you to note with me God's perfect plan explained in verse 28 and 29. It says in verse 28, And we know, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's perfect plan explained. You know, the Lord does not leave you and I in the dark as to what his plan is for you and for me as believers. What is God doing in our life? Why does he let us suffer? Why does he take us through trials? Why do we go through tough times? God has a plan in that. And so now to add to the sense of comfort and add to the sense of security, the Lord now tells us or shows us how we can be comforted. Even while we're waiting for the rapture, while we're waiting to leave this world and go home to glory, while we wait for his return, you and I can be comforted in the midst of that tribulation, in the midst of the life that we now live. You know, Romans 8.28 must be one of the most quoted and best loved verses of the book of Romans. There's no doubt about it. And we know that all things work together for good for them that, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And knowing this verse and believing this verse will turn defeat into victory, gloom into glory. As we study this passage together. The first thing that we need to understand in the explanation of God's plan is that God is in control. And that's verse 28. God is in control. He says, all things work together for good. The all things here is to be taken literally, in case you weren't aware of that, uh, which seems like an obvious statement. It's to be taken literally. It literally means all things, including all the things listed in verse 35, And verse 38 to 39, look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the all things includes all things, including what's listed in verse 35, tribulations, distresses, persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, and those things listed in verse 38 and 39. So all things work together for good. The reason why all things work together for good is because they're under God's control. Nothing catches God by surprise. There's no accidents with God. There's no whoops moments with God. You know, you and I are going through life and God us says, whoops, I didn't expect that to happen. That doesn't happen with God. God never gets caught by surprise. There's no whoops moments with the Lord. There's no blind chance with God. It's not a case of, well, I hope it happens for them. God is working his plan through you and me. And he's working his plan for us. So God is working all things together for good. But notice, it says that that is only true of those who, are, who love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now the called here, the called according to His purpose... Ah, those who are justified. Because verse 30 tells us that. Notice what it says in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. So the called are the ones who have been justified. So when Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good, they that love God, those are the called according to his purpose, it's saying this. If you were justified, and if you were loving God, then all things are working together for good. If you're saved and you're loving God, all things work together for good. This is not a promise for the unfaithful believer. This is not a promise for the disobedient saint. This is not a promise for the backslidden believer. This promise of all things working together for good is for those who love God, for those who are called according to purposes for a particular group of saved people. Those who are justified, who are loving God. You can't expect God to work all things together for your good if you're living in disobedience to Him. Now, sometimes God turns evil into good, as we learned this morning with Abraham, but you can't guarantee that God is going to turn evil for good. The only way you and I can guarantee that all things work together for good is when you and I love God, those of us who are saved, when we love God, in John chapter 14 and verse 15, and 1 John 5, 3, we're told that we love God when we keep his commandments. Just go with me to John 14, please. John fourteen fifteen. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. He repeats it in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. 1 John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. This is the fair measure of our love for God. God says the way we measure our love for him is how much we keep his commandments. It's easy to think of loving Jesus in a merely sentimental way that, you know, I love him. In emotional terms, I love him because he first loved me. But God says that love ought to produce action. If we genuinely love God, it will produce action. We will keep his commandments. Our love must always be connected with keeping God's commandments. And we demonstrate our love for God by our obedience to God. And so Romans 8.28 is intended to be a comfort to obedient Christians. There is a benefit to being obedient. There is a a, a joy in being obedient. If you and I are obedient to the Lord, all things then work together for good. Now this fits in with the context of Romans chapter 8. The context that you and I have been learning about, particularly in Romans 8, 1 through 11. And the context is this, look in verse 1 of chapter 8. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, so those who are saved, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There is no condemnation to those who are saved who are walking not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For those who are in the Spirit, who walk after the Spirit, have this assurance that all things are working together for good. Okay, remember the context. The context is talking about our spiritual walk He wants us to walk in the spirit and not to walk in the flesh. He wants you and I to bring glory to him by letting the spirit of God work in us and through us. And as you and I are walking in the spirit, then all things work together for good to them who love God. Because the consequence of walking in the spirit is that we will keep his commandments. Haven't we been learning that? You and I don't have to keep the law. You and I have to allow the Spirit to control our lives and as He empowers us, we will walk in the Spirit and will not fulfill the lust of flesh. We will fulfill His law. And if you and I walk in the Spirit, then you and I will be keeping His commandments and if we're keeping His commandments, then all things work together for good. To them who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Notice what it says in Romans 8:28. It says, Now we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. This implies that God has a plan, that God has a purpose, God has an intention regarding all those who become Christians, all those who get saved. Everybody who is justified, God has a plan for. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He has a purpose for all of us. He didn't save you and I without a plan. We didn't get saved, then God said, Now what am I going to do with them? When we got saved, God already had a plan. God already knew what He wanted to do with you and I as believers. And therefore, Romans 8, 9, and 30 tell us that God is not only in control, but that God has a perfect plan for our lives. Look in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Verses 29 and 30 are explanation verses. 29 and 30 explain to us what he's just said in verse 28. That all things went together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. These two verses, 29 and 30, explain to us what's just been said. He's just told us that all things... Uh, sorry, he's just told us that all uh, that for all who are loving God are called. For these, all things work together for good. In other words, all those who are called and love God, all these things work together for good. And then he says in verse 29, for. Now the Greek word for here is an interesting word. It's made of two ideas. The first idea is the. The second idea is why. So these verses give us the why all things work together for good. Romans 8, 29, for, or why, do all things work together for good? Because whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. God has a perfect plan for all believers, and he predestinated us to that plan. God predetermined that you and I would fulfill God's God's purpose for us. So let's break it down. For whom He did foreknow? Now the word foreknow here means to know beforehand. Here we see God's purposes for the call, or when God's purpose of the call began. When did God plan the purpose He has for you and me? When did God plan that? Well, He tells us this was His foreknowledge. God knew them beforehand. For whom he did foreknow, he knew us beforehand. The question is, what did he know beforehand? Well, the answer is, those he predestined on the basis of his foreknowledge. Verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. So God knew who he would predestinate to a certain thing. He knew that beforehand. Those he predestinated, he knew beforehand. Of course, God knows everybody before they're born because God knows all things. Okay, He's omniscient. But this foreknowledge here in Romans 8, 29 is a specific knowledge about those who he would predestinate. We know that he would not predestinate someone to be conformed to the image of his son if that person had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and that's what the verse says for whom he did foreknow he did also predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his son now God is not going to predetermine to conform anyone to the image of his son who is not first of all saved because that would be against all of scripture anywhere else in scripture we go to we know that the reality is you've got to be saved first before all these things are true. And so he's saying here that God knew beforehand that He would predestinate those who were saved to a certain thing to be called conformed to the image of Son. So God's foreknowledge here must refer to his knowledge beforehand of those who would accept the only condition of salvation. God knew who would be saved. And the only condition for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ, isn't it? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Acts 16.30 and 31 where Paul and Silas were in prison and the prison doors opened and they stayed and the guard came in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The only precondition for justification... The only precondition for salvation is that you and I, by faith, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That you and I place our faith and trust in Him and Him alone for salvation. God knows beforehand who will believe. He knows who will act upon the only condition for salvation. He knows who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ and knowing that, he predetermines the plan for their lives. Now please note that this does not say he predetermined who he would save. It doesn't say that. This verse says, nowhere that God predetermined who he would save. It simply says that he knew beforehand who would be saved. He knew beforehand who would believe. He knows who will respond in faith to the gospel. He he knew beforehand who would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's how he can say what he does in verse 28. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those of the called according to his purpose. He can say that because God knew beforehand who would be saved, and he predetermined for them what the outcome of that salvation would be. So Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now the word predestinate here means to limit or mark out beforehand, to design definitely before or ordain before. So predestination and foreknowledge go together. He foreknew, and that foreknowledge of who would believe includes a predestination, a predetermination of what he will do with all those that will believe. He was told that he predestinated not to be saved, but that as we are saved, to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now remember, salvation is by faith in Christ and faith alone. In fact, in God's word, as far as believers are concerned, predestination always, always has to do with what God predetermined to do for those who were saved, never God working towards salvation. Always. When it comes to believers, the word predestination always has to do with what God has predetermined to do with us once we are saved it's never God predetermining who will be saved it's always predetermining what he will do with those who are saved and that has to happen because you and I have a free will you and I can choose to be saved or you and I can reject the gospel it's up to us but God says I know all those who will make the choice who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and all those who will believe in Jesus Christ I predetermine this that they will be conformed to the image of my son. That is my will for them. It never refers to predetermining who will be saved. So God ordained, God designed, God marked out beforehand what those he knew would believe were to be conformed to. It was the plan of God, purposed in eternity past for us. This is what God predetermined for you and for me. And we can say to every believer on the force of this verse that God has a plan for your life and my life. Every believer, God has a plan for us. And it's right here. We're told what that plan is. And that plan is that we be conformed to the image of his son. That's why all things work together for good, to them that love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, because God's purpose for us is that we be conformed to the image of His Son. That's why all things work together for good. The good of Romans 8.28 is the conformity to the image of Christ. God's working in your life, working in my life, in the midst of all the life struggles, He's working to conform us to the image of His Son. He's molding us like the potter and the clay so that you and I might be molded into the image of His Son. He is working on us to be in the image of His Son. That's what God predetermined He would do with you and I. That's His plan for us. Now we may be disobeyed in the times and therefore God's predetermined design for you and for me and for our lives may not have complete fulfillment in this life. The Lord may have to want to take some remedial work in our lives as we live our life. He may have to chastise us. He may have to put us through some trials and tribulations. He may have to bring us back to the, the narrow path. He may have to work in our lives because we stray from the path that God has for us, this predetermined plan that he wants you and I to be conformed to the image of Christ You and I may stray and when we stray he might have to bring us back. That's why it says that this plan, this all things working together for good is to them that love God. Those who are walking in the spirit will have all things working together for good because God is working the plan. But sometimes like the potter he finds that the the clay is not molding the way he wants to and he has to take the clay and he has to rework the clay, start from scratch. Sometimes God has to take us and rework the clay because we strayed and he has to bring us back and then start working again. But overall, his predetermined plan for us as believers is that we be conformed to the image of his son. Now the word conformed here is the same word as the word that's translated in other places, the same form as. We are conformed, we are to be conformed in the same form as the image of His Son. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us? That you and I are changed into the same image from glory to glory by His Spirit? That from justification to glorification through sanctification, God has changed us from glory to glory to what? into the image of his son. Why? Because that's God's predetermined plan for us. God wants you and I to be like his son. The final fulfillment of this, the final conclusion to this, will be when you and I get to glory, when the resurrection takes place. Look in Philippians chapter 3, please. Philippians chapter 3. And verse 20. So for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall, ch- who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. The word fashioned here in 321 is the same Greek word as conformed in Romans chapter 8. One new day you and I are going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. We're going to be conformed to his image. That's God's plan for you, and that's God's plan for me. Isn't that one John three, two? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. blood does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this that when we see him we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day, ultimately, you and I will be conformed to the image of His Son. You and I will stand in in glory, and you and I will stand like Him in His image. That's God's plan for us. Ultimately, it will happen. Every born-again believer, that's God's guarantee. You and I will one day be conformed to the image of His Son, because that's God's predetermined plan for us. But in the meantime while we walk on this earth, He wants us to walk in the Spirit so that you and I might indeed be conformed to the image of His Son right now. As He will work all things together for good, He will work all things for that purpose in your life and my life so that we might progressively be conformed to the image of His Son which ultimately will be completed in glory. The reason why He will conform us to His own image is so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Look at verse 29 again. It says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. This distinctive designation of Christ expresses a position of priority. A position of preeminence. Over all of the members of the family of God, he stands in the primary position. He is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn. He stands at the beginning of the family of God. He stands first. And we all one day will be like him. He is the preeminent example. And one day you and I will be like him. He's the firstborn of many brethren one commentator said this the final cause of the incarnation and of the effect of the incarnation upon man is that the son may be surrounded by a multitude of the redeemed this is God's ultimate plan, ultimate purpose for us that when we get to glory we will be like him isn't that glorious? when we get to glory we're going to be like him And that's what God's doing in your life and in my life right now. He is molding the clay. A little trial here, a little suffering there, a little bump there, a little bit of chastisement here. He is molding the clay so that it is conformed to the image of His Son. And you and I ought to be thankful. That's why James says, can it all joy? When you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I will suffer all things for Christ. Because you see, he's molding us. He's shaping us. He's molding the clay to make us like unto Christ. That's God's promise for you and me. One day, we will be like him, because God said, I planned in eternity past when I predetermined That all those who got saved, I would indeed conform them to the image of Christ. That's his plan for you and me. Now having said this, Paul then outlines the order of things. So briefly, let's look at verse 30. And you see God's plan outlined? God's plan outlined in verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Now, his foreknowledge has already been established. That was back in verse 28 and 29. So God's already established his foreknowledge. Now he explains that having done the prior planning, so that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, he then set the plan into motion. First, those he did foreknow, those he foreknew, rather, would believe had to be saved. Okay, God foreknew that if He's going to predestinate his children to be conformed to the image of his son, the first thing that needs to happen to you and I is we need to get saved. And so he says, those he predestined, he also called. Look okay, in verse 30, moreover, whom he did predestinate, so the predestination is that you and I would conform to the image of his son. Now, in order for him to be able to predestinate us to be conformed to the image of his son, then he also called we had to be saved. Now, the call here was the gospel preaching. Look at Second Thessalonians, please. Second Thessalonians, in chapter two, and verse fourteen. It makes it clear what the call is. Whereunto he called you by our gospel. The obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called by the gospel. And he had to issue a call because we could not believe if we had not heard. Isn't that what Romans ten seventeen says? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God foreknew who would get saved. He also predetermined that all those that would get saved would be conformed to the the Son. But in order for us to be saved, the gospel message had to go forth. There had to be a call. The gospel message went out. The call went ringing out across the plain. You must be born again. That's the call. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And only those who believe the gospel will heed the call. And only those who heed the call does he predestinate to be conformed to the image of some. The Son. Then he goes on to say this, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. He justifies you and I on the basis of the acceptance of the call. When you and I accept the call, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, the moment you and I believe, we are justified, declared righteous. The moment you and I place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are declared righteous. Those who believe the gospel message, he justifies. And he also glorifies. Those he foreknew would believe the gospel. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son having made that predetermination he then issued a call to salvation and all those who believe the gospel message he justifies and everyone he justifies them also he glorifies now it's interesting the word glorifies here in verse glorified here in verse 30 is in the past tense not the future tense See, you and I think glorification is future, and it is. But the reason why it's given the past tense here is because the process of glorification started the day we got saved, didn't it? We're changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. The process of glorification took place the day you and I got saved. Look in John chapter 17, please. John 17 and verse 22. This is Christ's high priestly prayer, and he's praying for you and me. And he says this in verse 21 That they all may be one, as Thou Father art in me, and I in Thee. That they may also be one in us. That the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one even as we are one. He's given that glory to us now. Right now, the process of glorification has starting in your life and my life. That's why He wants you and I to walk in the Spirit. The old man is dead. The new man is now dwelling within. The Spirit of God lives within you and I, and He wants you and I to walk in the Spirit so that right now, as we live this life, He might work all things together for good in our lives, so that you and I might be conformed to the image of His Son, which is His ultimate destination for all of us. But that process of glorification has already started in you and me. All the way here, God has taken the initiative. He predetermines, He calls, He justifies, He glorifies. And truly, our salvation is all wrought of God. He had a plan for us and a purpose for us. And we can rest in this knowledge that God does His part to ensure that His plan will come to pass. So tonight we can praise God that God has a perfect plan for all of us who know the Savior. While we may suffer in this life, we need to understand that God has a perfect plan. And therefore in the midst of trials of life, let's remember that one day... It will be worth it all. For one day we shall see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let's trust him with our lives. Let's walk in the spirit daily that we might indeed be conformed to the image of his son. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the book of Romans. We thank you, Father God, for passages such as this Lord just spell out so clearly what a great God you are that Lord you in eternity past made a decision that you would save all who would believe and that once we believed you would then predestine us to be conformed to the image of your son that then you issued a call the gospel call so that we could believe And upon profession of faith, you then start the process of glorification in us. That ultimately one day will end with us standing at heaven's shore. And we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Lord, help us to walk in the spirit. Help us, Father God, to be a being unto you, so that indeed all things might work together for good. to them that love God, to those of the called according to his purpose. Commend your word to us this night, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.